We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the uh, February 22nd Wednesday edition of the NFL podcast brought to you by Underdog. I'm Joe Bartle, locked in a uh, very dark basement, it looks like, here in the Rotor HQ. I braved uh, Satan's sleet storm just to get here to talk with you, Jim, today about the AFC North. Excited to get to what the Bengals are going to have to do with Joe Burrow and T. Higgins. Uh, if Kenny Pickett actually looked as good as Steeler fans think, spoiler at least to my half, it's no, he, he did not. Uh, and, and much more of the AFC North conversations. Let's cue the music. Again, welcome to the February 22nd edition of the RotoWire NFL podcast brought to you by Underdog. I'm Joe Bartle. Alongside me is Jim Coventry. Uh, we start out with the AFC South last week. I'm not sure if you saw the news today, Jim, but we crushed it, especially with the Titans. They did cut Taylor Luan. They <laughs> cut Robert Woods. They also cut Randy Bullock. We had talked about the Titans getting into a spot where they could be financially viable. Those moves played out correctly. Let's see if we can identify some of these same moves for the AFC North as we transition to what is kind of the offseason of the offseason period for the NFL. Uh, combine start next, starts next week. We also have the offseason really kicking off March 15th. So we're trying to run through a lot of these divisions and talk about what the team, uh, what each team could do, kind of where we see the trendings uh, for, for each side of things, offensively, defensively. I think we'll probably smash a few of these divisions together at some point too, Jim, as we really try to get geared up for the free agency period. But we're on a good pace right now, and there's a lot to talk about, uh, whether it be Lamar Jackson or Kenny Pickett. The AFC North is bubbling with, I don't know if mediocrity is the right word, but other than the Bengals, I'm not sure there's a team right now that can compete for the Super Bowl, although I'm sure the fans would say otherwise. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Uh, well, we'll really dive into this, Jim, with you and uh, go over each team's expectations. You know, this is going to be great, and I, I'm glad we're going to talk about the Ravens first because this is one of those franchises. They are doing it way different than the mm. other teams. They're not the Chiefs. They're not the, the Bengals. And this is interesting because they still want to win with defense and offensive line and running the football. I know they have a quarterback. Maybe, maybe we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> so yeah, this is going to be the outlier um, of how they're going to do it, but they can compete. Health has been the issue. Just not having a quarterback. Mm -hmm. Otherwise this team could have given any team a run for the money, Joe. Yeah. Quarterback or cornerback, right? And that's kind of what we'll dive into the Ravens. So they finished last year, 10 and seven, of course, uh, were bounced in the first round of the playoffs because Lamar Jackson may or may not have been injured. Uh, Tyler Huntley looked okay. I think there was expectations. The Bengals would blow out the Ravens. Those divisional matchups always going to be uh, closer than you expect other than 
when Christian Ponder played the Packers. Uh, that's my one win, my one Packer mention of the of the whole show here. It's a while ago, I guess. Um, the, the Ravens are expected to have about twenty six million in cap space, and I and I say that right now because. We're going to have a distinction with the Browns when we get to a little bit later on in the show. I'm going off the spot rack or spot track. I always forget which one it is. Um, and what their estimated cap space is. That's not including the rollover cap space, which the Browns have a ton of, and that's kind of complicating things a little bit more. So whenever I give these numbers, it's more or less an estimate. estimate, estimate. Um, and I, I think it means a substantial difference if we're talking upwards of 40, 50, 60 million dollars in cap space, which some are projected the Ravens could get to. Their key free agents this year, of course, Lamar Jackson, Tyler Huntley. We'll get to that in a second. Marcus Peters, Justin Houston, Kyle Fuller, Jason Pierre Paul, uh, all these veteran guys that they brought on to kind of try to uh, run the show and uh, provide a bit more leadership in a, in a championship push. You have Juwan J- uh, James, who was brought in to be the right tackle. Only played one game, got injured right away. Demarcus Robinson, who I guess you could qualify as one of the leading receivers for the Ravens. We'll talk about that in a second, too. And then and then Ben Powers, right, who actually um, under a million dollars right now. That's what his co- contract was. Started, I think, each of the past two years, probably going to be commanding upwards of $12 million uh, in whatever extension or new deal he has with them. So there's, there's a lot of moving parts with the Ravens and their offseason plans. But, of course, it first starts and first most ooh, uh, with Lamar Jackson and essentially – Tyler Huntley. So I'll I'll defer this to you, Jim. Do you think the Ravens can win a Super Bowl paying Lamar Jackson forty to fifty million dollars? Right. We heard the reports earlier this week. Daniel Jones wants forty five million. I want forty five million too. It's not going to happen. But Lamar Jackson could realistically uh, get that kind of figure, and that would make the marriage between them happy. And we've had some little disgruntlements the last two years, specifically this last year. I'm curious if you think. The, the Ravens can win a championship with a $50 million quarterback like Lamar Jackson. I do believe they can. They always draft well. They have infrastructure on their team. Other than the quarterback injuries, they've handled any injury they've had very well. Next man up on the offensive line, next man up at cornerback. They have made it work. But very simply, you can't beat the elite teams consistently without a quarterback we saw them you mentioned they challenged the Bengals Mm -hmm. in the playoffs they could have won that game and matter of fact they should have won that game except for um Tyler Huntley thinking he was seven foot four reaching over the three yard line trying to (laughs) stick the ball in honestly they win that game against Joe Burrow T Higgins and Jamar Chase without a quarterback they win that game and so it was just a bad mistake. And that just shows you. But if they have Lamar Jackson on the field, I don't care if they lose Marcus Peters. I don't care if they lose Ben Powers. If they have Lamar Jackson there with their rushing attack, that offense could do enough. The defense will always be well-coached and disciplined mm-hmm. and enough talent. So, yes, they can win a Super Bowl with him. They just have to have him on the field. The money, it is what it is. I don't know if they're going to pay him. That's going to be the interesting thing because they realize based on the market and what he wants, and he wants that guaranteed contract that Deshaun Watson has, he is missing the point that that was a supply and demand situation that teams were bidding for him. But that said, somebody's going to pay him because he may not be the best quarterback in the league, but for what it costs to get a functional or very good quarterback, it's always the new market is the new quarterback. Yeah, and I guess we'll dive into it a little bit. So there's a number of different avenues the Ravens can do. And and you mentioned 
the team construct a little bit earlier where they, they want to be run-oriented, defense-oriented, and they will continue to do so. This is the Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Ravens still in the 2022 you know, 2023 season. That's that's what the accomplishment, the goal is. But just with a unique weapon, weapon like a, a better version of Michael Vick uh, in Lamar Jackson. That that's the plan. That's what you're shooting for. The front office of, of the Ravens has been, I think, one of the best now for a number of years. And I know the transition to the new general manager. You could make some arguments or blame, and maybe that's how we've gotten to this Lamar Jackson situation that we have. But I still think um, I I would trust this front office in this kind of situation more than just about any other team there is out there. So you could just franchise tag Lamar Jackson another season, the Kirk Cousin special, uh, where Lamar, I think, then would not be eligible to be franchised again, could literally hit the open market the following year, uh, and I think it would command upwards of $45 million in cap space right now. Like That would be a, a either the 30, I think it's like 35 or 38. I have to look at what the franchise tag itself would be. But that's earmarked right away. Your cap space is completely taken up, whereas if you – were to give him a longer deal. You could do those void contracts, those void years that people uh, typically do. You could space the money out. That's one problem that you'd have to have. A lot of people have also mentioned the exclusive tag that could happen too. And for those of you who are maybe not as familiar with it, it's a little bit less than the franchise tag. I think $32 million specifically if you are exclusively franchise Lamar Jackson. Uh, that would allow teams to negotiate a contract with Lamar Jackson. He would be technically on the market. The Ravens could decide to match it. And then the other team would have to pay, I think, a two first-round premiums, uh, two first-round picks, a premium price, to go ahead and get Lamar Jackson. The concern that you'd have with putting the ex uh, exclusive tag on Lamar is that you're opening teams up to put poison pill type of deals yep. in his contract. It's not exactly like it is in the NBA uh, back in really the 2010s. I feel like that happened quite a lot with restricted free agents. We saw with the Kyle Fuller deal uh, with the Bears and Packers. Kyle Fuller signed a contract with the Packers. The Bears decided to match it. They had to cut him this year. Ironically, Kyle Fuller's on the Ravens, which I can bring it up now. I th That's that's uh, an avenue that people discuss that I really think you're playing too much with fire. When you're talking about a former MVP quarterback, one of the most electric players in the league when healthy, I don't, I don't want to put myself in that situation on the Ravens, and I think they're too smart of a front office to do that. So my question to you, Jim, is it feels like franchise tag – Long deal or nothing. Yeah, no doubt, Joe. But which one of those three do you feel like is the most likely conclusion? Joe, I don't think he plays with the franchise tag. I don't think he signs it. I don't either. He's not playing on it. And I think the Ravens have to know that. I have no idea what his true health status was this year, if he could have played in the playoffs or not. I have no idea. He may have been completely unhealthy. He may have been healthy. Who knows? I, you would think that was a six or seven weeks since the injury. That was a four to six week injury. Right. Usually players will come back and try to give it a go, but with the financial ramifications, he may not have been willing to take it. I, I don't know a man's mind. I don't know his heart. So I have no idea, but I don't think there's a second he's signing that franchise tag, putting a career on the line with a one season deal. Right. He wants financial security for the long term. So I'll, it'll be interesting to see how the Ravens play this, but if they franchise tag him, I think that is a complete wrong move. They either have to, sign him to a deal or they're going to have to do the exclusive thing and hope somebody else signs him away and they get two first round picks. I think those are their options because they need compensation if he walks, but yeah, absolutely. I think the only way you do franchise tag is if you come out directly afterwards and say, Oh, we did just open up the window to further extend Lamar Jackson. And if we don't, uh, we'll trade him before training camp. Like that, that would be the expectation that I would assume Lamar's camp, whether he's his agent still, or if he's, fix that somehow, or if it's the Ravens themselves just getting ahead of 
uh, what will be a media circus otherwise to saying, no, we are doing this to further an extension. There's no reason there. I, I completely agree with you. There's absolutely no way Lamar Jackson plays his second year on the franchise tag. There's no, I could see the Ravens doing a second franchise tag, but no way Lamar plays it. I'm assuming that he ends up getting resigned. I, like, again, I think this is a smart front office. Yes. There's some complications. If you're building your team through defense and through running the football, talk about cheap assets, right? J.K. Dobbins, one of the better running backs in the league, still a rookie deal. Gus Edwards, I think, given a very cheap deal as well, too, as a backup, but could easily be a starting caliber running back in the NFL for certain teams. You could always get cheaper running backs as well. The offensive line, um, unlike, I mean, the Packers are one of the best in terms of developing uh, mid to late picks to be starting offensive linemen. The Ravens are the same way, too. Now, they've invested premium resources lately in those positions, but I think it's because they had a rookie deal quarterback still, or at least a cheaper one, Lamar Jackson. I, I believe they will make a uh, they will make a, a actual offer whatever whatever that means to Lamar Jackson I'm not positive I don't think it gets to 50 million I mean I'm not I think Lamar can even say no I'm not worth Joe Burrow Josh Allen Patrick Mahomes money I, I think that's I think that can get to that point especially I always missed so much time over the past two years not just this year last year as well um, but even even 40 plus million yeah and, and incentive based things too and the guaranteed part of it that might be the one angle he's shooting for which makes complete sense to me so the Lamar Jackson part of it Tyler Huntley is also a restricted free agent um, this is a little bit different I mean the Ravens could easily match it but I think compensation would have to be given up uh, at a certain extent if a team were to try to acquire Tyler Huntley I don't think Tyler Huntley's that bad I mean like when you look at the backup quarterbacks in the league even like a Taylor Heineke that's sort of what I feel like uh, Huntley is on that level. Am I, am I wrong in that assessment? Yeah, I'm going to respectfully disagree with that, Joe. His first year, he had a couple good games as soon as film was out on him. He mm. had two games. He had one against the Packers. Those two games <laughs> yeah. of film, he actually already took a step back. Teams had two weeks of film. And then this season when he came in, not good. Joe, his yards per attempt in both seasons were less than six yards per attempt. The not reason, good. yeah, the reason is he can't read the defense and he doesn't have a strong arm. So between those two, he has to get the ball out lightning fast. 13 games, he has five touchdowns, seven interceptions. Mm. And he's in his rushing, actually. So his rushing made him viable in 2021, 6.3 yards per carry. Last year with the film out and how he wants to run, 3.2 yards per carry. He was no longer a weapon on the ground, and he doesn't have the arm to throw downfield. So what defenses could do with Tyler Huntley, basically they just compress the field. They go, oh, you can't throw downfield. So now the running lanes were already gummed up with extra defenders, and they would jam the receivers. So now he had nowhere to throw the ball, and he had no ability to develop upon it. So I get what you're saying, but the film – completely sold him out and, and I don't think he's any more than a desperation backup I, it was amazing what the coaching staff was able to do with their running game to again in that playoff game to get them to do and they did a couple things where the, the the Bengals knew he couldn't throw deep so what they basically did was they just ran a nine route and I know they have a big playoff and they said throw it early and he did, and he was able to win that one. The defense completely unaware on that. It was a little smoke and mirror, but that's what we have in Huntley. I don't believe he's any answer. Jacoby Brissett would be a better answer. So I, when you describe Tyler Huntley, they immediately thought was Jacoby Brissett to me. Like that limited mobility, but kind of mobile, uh, doesn't have a strong arm whatsoever. I guess Jacoby Brissett can at least 
read a defense defense yes. and is a bit more of a veteran leadership. Is that the difference between the two? Yeah, oh, yes. And he has a bit better of an arm. We saw last year, he actually was able to connect downfield field a good deal with Amari Cooper and certainly with Donovan Peoples-Jones, who became a multi-level receiver. We'll talk about him later in the show. Mm-hmm. But um, but yes, so Bursette is aging well. His better understanding of the game allows him to bridge his weaknesses a bit better. But sometimes we see that with, with somewhat talented veteran backups, and he definitely yeah. could be a bridge starter because of what he's learned about the game over his career. Okay, then that's fair. Yeah, we'll talk about Jacoby Percent when we get to the Browns a little bit yes. more. Um, I, the deep throwing part, whether that's a Tyler Huntley issue or a Greg Roman issue, is really <laughs> one of my, the more interesting aspects, I think, of the Ravens this year. So they, I think, uh, let Greg Roman leave for better opportunities, right, was the correct way of uh, – or the politically correct way the Ravens put it. Uh, was absolutely awful and has been one of the worst coordinators for quite a while. And I will be very curious to see what Tom Monikin's uh, – offensive scheme is going to be and if it does unleash Lamar Jackson or if it does unleash whoever else that quarterback like not that they they could throw the ball I'm not positive if Tyler Huntley could throw it deep or not I just know they weren't trying I mean they, they weren't even able to do that or looking to do so I'm wondering if this new offensive scheme will almost push the front office to invest more into the receivers obviously they've been heavy at tight end we have Mark Andrews Isaiah Likely uh, they drafted Charlie Kohler, I think, in the third or fourth round last year, too. Like they, They've always been a, hey, let's draft our 15th tight end kind of team. I want to see them draft the 15th receiver and actually use them. I mean, they have they had pieces. I, I still think Rashad Bateman's good. We'll get to him in a little bit. He hasn't been healthy. Tylen Wallace was a guy that uh, a lot of us liked here at Rotoway coming out of college. Uh, Devin DuVernay, I still think, is an electric player when you get the ball in his hands. And it just felt like Greg Roman refused to do that and instead thought it was funny to get Patrick Ricard out uh, on the outside for three yards. Because, oh, look, it's a 300-pound guy who caught a pass. Funny. I, I, I'm I'm so happy we're done with Greg Roman. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious if you are jumping with joy, clearly like I am right now. Yeah, he was a difficult watch because his offense became too predictable. Now, and I don't want to make a case for him, but – the personnel was very limited. The receivers could only do very specific things. And of course, losing Rashad Bateman hurt them quite a bit. He missed the majority of the season. But yes, the predictability of the offense was problematic. Even if the teams know you're going to run, having some diversity in your running game and mixing in passing appropriately when you could catch defense off guard is a tool he had at his disposal. And he was unwilling to take that. Now, Todd Munkin's an interesting hire because we've seen him him operate some longer passing games and I don't know the personnel is a fit for what he's done and Hmm. I guess we'll learn how creative of a mind is maybe he was just and I know for a while he had been worked in Atlanta I believe but in Tampa and I know they were pushing the ball downfield now that may have been with the head coach it may have been in conjunction with that so I don't know if we know for sure what else Todd Munkin has in the arsenal so the jury's out and, but it'll be different. And, and at this point, different is probably good. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with you wholeheartedly. My other point to the receivers or pass catchers, do the Ravens have a guy besides Mark Andrews, but like a pass catcher on the roster that you can be comfortably excited for, for fantasy or otherwise, if you're just a Ravens fan, do they have a guy? I mean, they have Demarcus Robinson, Sammy Watkins, both uh, unrestricted free agents this year. I like DeVernay, but I don't know what you can really like about him when uh, Greg Roman isn't utilizing him for three-fourths of the season. Possibly it's on DuVernay. Isaiah likely looked great in the preseason. People loved him because of that and then didn't do much hole in the regular season. I mean, 
is it possible the Ravens are going to have to invest multiple draft picks and maybe even sign a guy to uh, to be pass catchers in this offense? I mean, you had said the personnel not quite fitting to what uh, uh, Monkett's going to want to do. I'm curious what avenue you think the Ravens will kind of explore in this offseason. Yeah, I mean, first of all, they need Rashad Bateman healthy. And we did see improvement in the six games he played hmm. over the 12 games from the rookie season. I mean, we talk about them not throwing downfield. Actually, his yards per target went from 7.6 to 10.2, which is three, almost two and a half yards. But his yards per reception went up from 11 to 19. He was 98th percentile yards after the catch. So he was showing us that dynamic ability to create yardage. And that is something they desperately need. And so regardless of the arm strength of the quarterback, if you have that receiver that can make it happen after the catch, that opens up a lot. And certainly it opens Mark Andrews up more because Mm -hmm. when Mark Andrews and teams figured this out, it took him years. I don't know how, but it's like, look, stop him. He's a good tight end, but this isn't Travis Kelsey. This isn't George Kittle. Yes, he could get downfield, but this is a guy that if you put attention on him, he is not an elite receiver. You can't, and we've seen it, and teams did. They took him out of games, and he didn't have an answer. But if Rashad Bateman was on the field, and if they had a legitimate number two, well, now defenses can't focus extended resources to take Andrews out. And now Andrews goes back to being an elite producer. So besides Bateman, I think they need somebody else. Duvernay, personally, I think he's a number four and number five NFL Mm -hmm. receiver. There's nothing very special as a receiver. As a returner, yes, he's an outstanding kick returner. But I think he's a good rotational player. And and that said, he's fine in that role. But they did try to utilize him, and they're just – he wasn't able to win against NFL corners, especially number one and number two corners. Like I said, if we had him in a rotational role for receiver sets, not that they run many of those, but it would be something instead of getting Patrick Ricard off the field, you know, <laughs> like that. But outside of that, they do need one more infusion. I mean, Marcus Robinson, funny enough, he did a little bit, and we know he has not been a very good receiver. He was with Patrick Mahomes, and mm-hmm. he could only carve out 450 yards a season. And this is the third time he's had that many yards, but now he was more of a primary guy, and that was all he could do. Again, limited offense, but Bateman was doing fine. So it sounds like you're with me, that they're they're drafting at least one. They have the 23rd pick in the first round here, which is important. A few of these AFC North teams do not. So late first rounder, more or less. The Ravens have been picking around there the past couple of years, I think offensive line receiver or secondary. And that was the other part of this too, that I would assume they're going to have to reconfigure the secondary a little bit, both Marcus Williams and Marlon Humphrey uh, long-term deals, but otherwise Marcus Peters, I think it's the free agency. Uh, Kyle Fuller probably does as well too. They had so many injuries uh, in the secondary. That's hard to really get upset, but they were 26 in terms of pass defense where what, whereas they were third best in run defense and they had allowed the third fewest points overall. I would assume secondary is going to be a big factor either through free agency or for the draft for them. Yeah, definitely. They will. They're very smart in approaching their needs. Well, and, the one thing I worry about in the draft is slight backup is they often will draft the best player available. Yeah. And Kyle so, Hamilton, right? Yes. Or, or the, the center as well as passer too. Yes. So yeah, Linderbaum. So yep. they're notorious, for, which has done their franchise well. So we think they should go after a wide receiver early, but if they see a value on their board and it's like this player is far beyond what his draft cost is, they are going to take that player. So we just need to understand that. Yeah, I agree with you, and that's a really good point because 
We've seen the Ravens over a number of years just because they take a seventh tight end like Charlie Kohler doesn't mean that it's because they uh, love Greg Roman's scheme all that much. Maybe they do, but they're going to figure things out now because he's not there. Yay. And we're Greg Roman. That's that's what I'm excited about. As a Lamar Jackson fan, I'm, I'm very happy for that. Let's transi- transition over to the Bengals. Um, again, estimated cap space around $37 million. I think it's very easy for them to get closer to 40 or $50 million, uh, especially with extensions. That's important because it's going to be all about extensions this offseason. You have Jesse Bates as one of the key free agents, along with Von Bell, both of their starting safeties. Eli Apple, of course, we know Eli Apple and how much he talks. Maybe money will talk. I'm not positive. Hayden Hurst. Uh, the opposite cornerback, Trey Flowers, Samaji P. Ryan, and then starting linebacker, Jermaine Pratt, are going to be your uh, major, major free agents. I know they're not a huge name group, maybe outside Jesse Bates, and for a lot of people, you might not know who he is either. That's a lot of starting caliber players on what has been easily the most dominant Bengals team of the past two-plus decades. That's, I, I think the way Cincinnati tends to operate, you want some um, familiarity. You want the to continue on with what you've been building. They don't like to expand outside their bubble all too often. I think Trey Hendrickson was a great signing. Same with uh, Ted Karasis as well this past offseason to improve the offensive line. But that's, that's outside of what the Bengals normally do. I, I would assume – some of these guys come back. Do you think Jesse Bates, though, in particular, does get re-signed? Bates really wanted money last year. He wasn't happy about right. coming back. And so I have to think now he's going to push that opportunity as a businessman. So I do have concerns. And at what point Burrow gets his contract redone, honestly, and I don't know if they're eligible to do the contract yet, but the sooner they do the contract, the better, because it's only going to get more and more expensive the longer they push it. Every year, you may be adding five, seven million a year on the deal because whatever the current market is. So I am concerned. And this is a team that's probably going to have issues keeping these players. Now, Eli Apple, bye-bye, no problem there. <laughs> you know, Hayden Hurst, if it's a team-friendly deal, which it mm-hmm. could be, they could get him on a very team-friendly deal. He may want to stay there. I don't think the market's going to be bustling for him. And, you know, Samaje Piran. Yeah, that's right. I'm glad you're going there, too. Sorry. Yeah, so, you know, it, but not a bustling market for him. Everybody kind of knows what he is. He's a good system fit for what they do, but he's not going to command much money. And he's pushing 30 already. And we already know the market for running backs, even if you're really good, it's hard to get money so the opportunity will exist here they really could use to keep one of those safeties but ultimately if they can't they're just going to have to address it in the draft and maybe go bargain bin shop and free agency but i don't know it depends what you're gonna have to do with the borough um, situation but otherwise i don't think there's any chance they bring both of them back yeah the, the bengals defensive scheme i think is one of the better and consistent ones in the entire league like i think that's kind of uh if you were to say one team that could pl- slot employ in a rookie safety. I'm just like kind of like how the Patriots um, got the former uh, Chargers safety out there, uh, Phillips, Adrian Phillips to be an all pro last year or whatever it was. And I know it was partially special teams, but Adrian Phillips played really well uh, as a safety. I think it, the scheme for the Bengals makes a lot of sense. So while their scheme probably looks good when they have guys like Von Bell and Jesse Bates doing it out there, I wouldn't be surprised if you could put in um, at least one lesser of that kind of player and make things work. They allow the fifth fewest points, fifth fewest rushing yards as well, uh, right in the middle of the pack in terms of passing yards, which, you know, if you're losing Eli Apple and uh, maybe Trey Flowers as well too, and you're losing a safety, the passing defense slips down, but you can invest that in other places. Where they're going to have to invest, like you mentioned, Joe Burrow's contract, he's up for uh, his extension. Now he he has that fifth-year rookie deal. Like if, if teams really wanted to play this 
shrewd and businesslike. You wait till the very fifth year option, pay the 22 million or whatever it is. Super cheap deal relative to what Joe Burrow could get to franchise tag him still super cheap. And then you do the extension kind of like how the Ravens played this Lamar Jackson deal, but you risk upsetting the guy who's completely changed the outcome of your franchise. I believe they will get a, uh, they will get some sort of deal done with Joe Burrow. And if that's the case, you could move a lot of that uh, cap space this year uh, and, and kind of negotiate however you want to, to open up. I should say you can, you can move his contract this year to open up more cap space. I think an extension is going to happen for Joe Burrow pretty quickly into the offseason. Yeah, they have to go that route. And I want to back up just a bit with the defense. I remember they drafted Dax Hill at safety last year. So it's mm, possible. Yeah, that's a good point. He's already ready to move in, so that's helpful. And they'll also get Chidobe Awuze back from that ACL injury. So hopefully things work. They really hit on their draft at Cam Taylor Britt at cornerback. So hopefully things are on the up there. But again, adding some draft you know punch last year may help them this year as well. But um, so anyways, back here about Burrow. Yes, I, they they probably do. You said getting salary cap set up for the future in a current deal would be smart. The Patrick Mahomes deal was really helpful to the Chiefs organization, and that was able to free up money at different points in time. And if they're a smart franchise in Cincinnati, they're going to look at that deal specifically and see how they were able to utilize that as a weapon to help the salary cap. So that hopefully that does work out, but that would be the optimal way to approach that. I think you're right. I mean, it's almost a blueprint for every other team when you have when you have the guy, when you have a franchise quarterback on a younger deal, the Chargers could say the same thing. Like this is look what the Chiefs did. They put the extension out there right away, more or less. Uh yes, it's five hundred million dollar contract, but there's so many different voidable things you could do. Uh and in 10 years, whatever the deal is for Mahomes, 50 million might not be anything for quarterbacks as well with the way the salary cap keeps progressing. I thought that was um, really ahead of the curve and probably will be the same plan that a lot of these teams, the younger stud quarterbacks do like the Bengals, Joe Burrow. I'm not worried about that extension at all. The T Higgins one though, that's significantly different. So T Higgins is entering the final year of his rookie deal. He is a second round pick, or I think the third year of his rookie deal, if I'm not mistaken. Man, I'm blanking on this now, but he's getting he's getting close to the point where he could be extended. He's already talked about, yeah, it's the final, the fourth year. Thank you, Jim, uh, of his rookie deal. It's just shocking to me because Jonathan Taylor was that same class. I'm like, wait, Jonathan Taylor's been in the league four years, I guess. Um, you're talking about a place where you're paying a receiver. 25, maybe even higher, depending on what this premium pushes. We saw all these receivers, Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill, Debo Samuel, Cooper Cup, get major, major extensions last year. And now you have younger players who are just as good like T. Higgins up for an extension this year too. I, I could be a little bit concerned if I was a Bengals fan thinking, yeah, we got Jamar Chase. He's a stud. Uh, I think Chase will be a stud no matter who he's playing against. He'll look better when he has Higgins, but a $25 million Higgins is significantly different than a $3 million one, which is what his current cap figure is. So do you feel like the Bengals opt to re-sign T. Higgins this offseason? You know, this is where the disconnect between an NFL guy and a fantasy guy becomes problematic. (laughs) I mean, how do you not want the prime of the career that's starting between your quarterback Burrow to be with Chase and Higgins. We already saw defenses make a fundamental shift to slow down Jamar Chase in year two, more too high safeties. The big games weren't there. The explosive plays weren't. Now he produced, it was completely different, but having T Higgins on the field as well, defenses always have to be careful to not oversell out to stop Chase. So you really get the boat in the, the best of everybody when you have that trio functioning. And so that's going to be the fundamental question from yes, a salary perspective. It's very tough to pay 
ultimately a trio of players Chase will eventually have to get paid. But I think it's one of these, it's that rare occasion where you have a special trio and this is one that I really think as an organization, if you lock this down, you could figure out the rest as you go. I hope they do. Um, Cause I, I agree with you. I think Higgins is special back-to-back a thousand yard seasons. He only has six touchdowns and I, or six, 13 combined over the past two years. And I think someone would say, well, those numbers aren't really that great. It's how good Chase is too, that we're doing this alongside each other. Higgins was still good as a rookie as well, too. I, I think he's incredibly impactful. And when you're talking about guys that can make a difference offensively, T. Higgins is one of them. So, yes, you could trade the the Bears and get a second-round pick or whatever it is, I guess, next year because they traded for Claypool, right? Uh, get a second-round pick and the Bears pay him $35 million. Okay, great. Higgins is getting a ton of money, but I think you are worse off if you are the Bengals in that situation. And if you're worried about saving money, then there might be Joe Mixon that you can consider. So Mixon has the sixth-highest contract among running backs. Uh, if they were to cut him this year, they're saving $7 million against the cap. Obviously, you're factoring in the dead cap if that's the situation. Next year, $11 million if they were to cut him. I think he's only only $3 million on the dead cap, period. P. Ryan, we had just talked about earlier, too. I, I think he'll have a market, but kind of like the Jamal Williams two years ago, Lions market, where he got $3 million or $4 million over two years. I don't see P. Ryan getting much more than that, which you're totally fine with paying. And maybe you don't want P. Ryan to be your guy, but he could be a factor in a running back backfield by committee of sorts. I'm... I wouldn't be shocked if Mixon were to get cut. Obviously, he had some legal stuff as well this year, which which seemed to get resolved or at least is on the back burner. I don't know. Do, do you feel like Joe Mixon is back with the Bengals in 2023? He certainly could be, but if money is an issue, he's going into his age 27 season. He has not surpassed 4.1 yards per carry in any of his last four seasons. And when you have a quarterback like Burrow, and especially this year, Jamar Chase, forcing mm. defenses to play high. There should have been more room to run. And so and I know the offensive line is a problem, but when you have defenses playing back, you have the opportunity against light boxes to make that happen. Now, obviously, they dumped off the ball a ton this year because of the two high looks. So he catches a career high, blows it away, 60 catches, 75 targets. But really, any good back right. could have had that receiving production because the defenses were giving that to them and Joe Burrow was taking that. But honestly, the, it was not an impressive season. His broken tackle rate, 29th percentile. Yardage after contact, 39th percentile. So this is not an uh, excellent running back. He's good, but he certainly is replaceable. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And the running back free agent market is pretty deep. I mean, like Josh Jacobs, probably Saquon Barkley, possibly, depending on what the Giants do. There's the, Those are high-end guys. There's a lot of the in-betweens, and we'll talk about Kareem Hunt when we get to the Browns earlier, too, or sorry, later. I, I think there's – you could throw Mixon into that mix, and I don't know if he really commands as high of a salary as he's getting now. And if, and if you were to be shrewd and you're trying to save money, if you're planning for the Joe Burrow extension and you also want to factor in T. Higgins, that might be the place. There's, there's not a lot of obvious other opportunities to make cuts – and if you get a Joe Burrow deal like Mahomes and say, okay, it's fine, we'll we'll avoidable years and move things around year to year to fit whatever our cap space is, it might not be an issue. But if it's not this year, it's probably next year. I don't think Joe Mixon finished out his contract with the Bengals uh, overall. The only other thing I wanted to mention really was the Zach Taylor improvement over the first half into the second. And it wasn't like, a all right, we're going to have a bye week and then be significantly better. But there was a point where Zach Taylor, I feel as a play caller and offensive coordinator of sorts for the Bengals, really turned a corner. And it was less about making things work 
and more about making it work with his players. Shocker, one that happens. And then, of course, the Bengals go on this great run. And uh, I think, again, nearly get to a point where they're at the Super Bowl once more. Are, are we officially in the point where Zach Taylor is one of the better coaches in the league? And do we feel confident moving forward? There won't be lumps in the road like we had earlier this season from a fancy perspective or just overall with the Bengals offense. He certainly learned. It was at a point even up to early last season when the team was in gun, they were running over 80% of the I'm passing over 80% of the time when Burrow was under center, it was almost always a run and the predictability in back to week one or two, when they played Pittsburgh, TJ mm. Watt was in the backfield as much as Joe Mixon in that game. And it was, and he says something after the game, I knew what they were doing at the snap. And when you're giving teams this type of an edge, it's irresponsible. But Zach Taylor made massive adjustments over the course of the season. You no longer knew what the team was doing based on placement or formation. And so that was a very big growth moment for him. I still think there's a lot of work to do. I think there is a lot more creativity that can happen when you have an offense with T Higgins, Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow. So I think he's getting there. He's learned, but I don't think he has come close to getting the highest level of production. Now the offensive line, I, I, I get it late in the season, it crumbled badly. So we'll yeah. give him a bit of a pass on that, but there's going to have to be something figured out. But in the playoffs, I do not believe they were well prepared to take advantage of what was for there for them in their final game. Uh, real quick. Let's just say the Bengals will have money, whether it be cutting Mixon or the extension for Joe Burrow to re-sign Higgins and another move. Do you feel like that other move is going to be on the offensive line is another weapon for uh, Joe Burrow and company is the defense. Like if, if you're to say a mid-tier to higher-end free agent joins the Bengals, what side of the ball, what position do you think they kind of invest in? I still think the offensive line is going to be okay next year. Lyle Collins will come back from the late-season injury. Alex Kappa, the right guard, was hurt mm -hmm. late. Uh, Ted Karras, it was solid. If, they, and if this contract is up, it shouldn't be hard to re-up him cheap. Jonah Williams has still shown enough. So I think the line when they're healthy isn't a liability. I think in the draft, though, you do want to throw at least two darts at the line, if nothing else, for depth when those injuries do occur. I don't think it's a priority because there is enough there. So, But, yes, I think right now – and, a, and a, another training camp together for this unit would certainly be helpful. Time together means a whole lot for offensive lines. Okay, so defense then is where we're going to go with a mid to high tier free agent. I or, think so. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's, I, I could see it. I mean, they've been smart. I, I think back to the Trey Hendrickson signing, that was a guy that looked to be good. He had, he had those uh, pass rush or under pressure figures, but didn't have the sack numbers and it proved to be totally correct. They've turned a corner, uh, whether it be their scouting department, identifying other team or players across the league. I trust what the Bengals are going to do. That's not just Joe Burrow instilling that confidence in me. It's really the front office making a lot of smart decisions. And I think this among them with Joe Burrow's extension and possibly what to do with T. Higgins would be the same course of action too. So I, I, I anticipate the Bengals will continue to be one of the better teams in the AFC along with the Chiefs and along with the Bills. Uh, and it's everyone playing catch up to them, especially with how they do this offseason. So I want to get a word from our sponsors here, Underdog. The 2022 NFL season is over, but the fantasy football season never stops at Underdog Fantasy. It's the easiest place to play fantasy football. Right now, you can draft an Underdog's the big uh, the big board tournament with $1 million in total prizes and $200,000 going to first place. Think you know which incoming rookies will burst onto the scene in 2023? Well, if so, now's your chance to draft them at value. All you have to do is join the big board draft 
draft your fantasy team, and then that's it. In best ball, there's no waivers, no trades, and you get the best scores in your starting lineup each week of the season, and whoever has the highest score at the end of the season wins. Just head to underdogfantasy.com, the App Store, or the Google Play Store, sign up with promo code RWNFL, and not only will you get your first deposit doubled up to $100, but you also get to uh, get a six-month subscription to RotoWire all set uh, for free. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code RWNFL again, uh, Double deposit up to $100, and then you get that free promo. I'm sorry, you get that free six-month subscription to RotoWire all right there, promo code RWNFL. I want to talk about the Steelers, uh, Jim, here, as we continue on throughout the AFC North uh, discussion. Everyone's going to be talking about Kenny Pickett as, as what was the positive part of the Steelers season. Of course, they finished 9-8. and eight. Once again, another uh, 500 and above record for Mike Tomlin. Kudos to him. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I, I'm convinced, and, and we'll talk about the upcoming free agents and stuff in a second, I'm convinced the Steelers team is going to finally end that run for Tomlin, as great of a coach as he is, because I didn't feel like there's a lot of talent. And if you really believe Kenny Pickett's it, he can carry a less talented team. I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to be kind of a Daniel Jones situation, uh, but without Brian Dable as one of the better coordinators helping in that facet. So what were your overall impressions and thoughts on Kenny Pickett in year one? Yeah, I think his accuracy dropped as the season went on when defenses started to make adjustments to him when he came in after a couple games of Mitch Trubisky. Defenses really didn't know what to expect. He was he really didn't direct many scoring drives. They were not scoring points, and he had weapons. I, I don't think Deontay Johnson is his great star, but mm-hmm. he's a productive player who gets open early in the route, which helps. And George Pickens had a great ability to separate and get open downfield so he had weapons and pat fryer is really proving to be a strong tight end but yet pickett just did not 
have the ability to drive the ball downfield consistently. And as I talk about frequently, you always hear me saying defense is compressing. When they don't respect a quarterback's arm strength, opposing defenses are going to move things in. They're going to tighten up the short and intermediate area, and they're going to say, we dare you to beat us deep. Well, Pickett had one pass over 40 yards all season, and it, it just was not good. He started the season, his first five games, he was like 65% passer. 60% or less in five of his last seven games. So, like I said, as the defense is compressed, he is, his windows were tighter. It was much more difficult. So, no, not very excited about him. Yards per attempt, 6.2, and that's about what he's good for. But defenses know that. I'm very concerned that we might be looking at a career borderline starter, high-end backup. Yeah, and turnover prone, too. I mean, that was the part of it. Great, he said all these comebacks. Think about the comebacks he had. It was almost always – following an interception or fumble of some extent where, okay, cool. But you put themselves in that position that you had to make that comeback. Fine. Like I, I, yeah, I, I'm going to be forever on the opposite side of people who are warm on Kenny Pickett and that's just going to be okay. But uh, I, I don't believe the Steelers are in a positive trajectory. And I, and I say that because right now they are right literally at the, at the zero point in terms of cap space. They're not negative. They're not positive. I think they can pretty easily with that carried over cap. We talked about a little bit earlier in the show, get close to 15 to 20 million. There is the possibility if you were to cut uh, Mitchell Trubisky as well, would save 8 million against the cap. If you were to cut William Jackson, who they kind of traded for this past off season, yeah. then put immediately on injury reserve. I don't know what that scenario or situation looks like, but you could save almost 10 million. If you were to cut him alone, maybe it's possible that you say, Hey, William, you know, come on back. But at half the cost, right? I mean, I could see them sort of talking to that. And then Akella Willerspoon, who more or less played his way out of, I think, a good starting quarterback spot, could be cut for another $4 million too. So there's there's room, but there's not all that much room. The Steelers in the past have used TJ Watt's contract and Mika Fitzpatrick's contract to really uh, restructure things to get more space. You do that again this year, you get about $26 million in addition. I, I look at their free agents, uh, guard Larry Jobier, uh, Devin Bush, Cameron Sutton, their corner, Terrell Edmonds, their safety, Chris Warmly, Robert Spillane. I'm not sure if you bring him back, but if you let both Bush and Spillane go, I think it's tough. Mason Rudolph is also a free agent too. It's not like guys you have to have or you're really worried about breaking the bank for, but there are starters or at least quality people outside of Mason Rudolph for your depth. And I'm, I'm curious if you believe the Steelers are really going to invest in any of these guys that are, are up for an extension or, or free agent, or if it's just letting them all go and sort of starting fresh with whatever this new look Steelers team would be. Yeah, I think they'll be bordered around their superstars still. T.J. Watt, Mika Fitzpatrick, and I think the rest will kind of fall in place for them. Yeah, I think that they're Cam Hayward, of course. So I think they're just going to piece things together. If they can afford a player or two, they can. This will be a team that will be fiscally responsible, but – they definitely aren't going to overpay to bring some pieces back. They understand they're a star driven defense where the other players kind of feed off of that. And they don't want to, they probably won't overvalue them knowing which players are benefiting from the high end play from the, the leaders of the defense. So I don't think there is a big effort to overpay for any of the players that are coming off contract um, expirations. Where are we at with Najee Harris? Because he had over 1,000 rushing yards, but once again, under four yards per carry in his career. That was the same last year, and we're all really excited about it, but uh, really banged up at times this year. I think he had the metal plate in his foot for a, not – well, he's either playing with his shoe or then he put a metal plate in his foot. I, it, it felt like it all blended together at points of the season uh, for three-fourths of the year, got that removed, and then looked better – but that was also a point where the Steelers were a little bit out of contention going against lesser opponents. Of course, they rattle off some wins towards the end, made playoff competitive, and Nasha Harris was important. 
like he can't go in the first round, right? I mean, we, we, we are not at this juncture where Najee Harris is a first round running back anymore, right? Well, no, and in early drafts that I'm doing, third round is roughly mm. about right for him. Yeah, I've done like three drafts already, and um, third round's about right. Uh, I think one draft, he did fall to the fourth, actually, early fourth. But these drafts this year are going very receiver heavy. We're Makes seeing, sense. We're seeing eight receivers going into first round, Travis Kelsey and a, and a few running backs. So it's really pushing the value of the secondary running backs out. Now, Najee Harris is interesting. And when I looked at his season, it did appear, like you said, that he looked better later. And we knew he had that mysterious foot injury in the preseason, yet they brought him out for a preseason game, which told me, oh, they must say he's fine. Right. But clearly he wasn't. He had 3.6 yards per carry in his um, first six games of the year. After the week nine bye, he was better. He moved that yards per carry up to 3.8, which means he was somewhere over four the rest of the way. Not a great number, but a good enough number. He also had all six of his 80-plus rushing yard games after week 10 and beyond. So he was definitely getting volume late. He was productive late. Look, I don't think any of us think he's a superstar running back, but he is very good across the board when healthy. And he had a 78th percentile broken tackle rate. I think there's something to be said for that. And I do think that second half of the season gives us the comfort that he should still see a high volume of touches. Again, not a fantasy superstar, but he should, like the second half of the season, have a high scoring floor, probably drafted around running back 15 but it wouldn't stun anybody if his foot was healthy all year that he ended up as the rb10 rb11 certainly volume will help him get there and they still do use him in the passing game yeah my only concern was that passing game part so even if his foot was completely healthy for this year the drop off from rookie year Najee harris who had 75 plus catches with Ben Roethlisberger who probably couldn't throw a football further than you and i could at that point in his career <laughs> to kenny pickett where there was a lot of concerns, couldn't read coverage, was making turnovers. Okay, the offensive line's not as good. I mean, that was 30 less catches for Najee Harris. Now, Harris missed a little bit of time and was also banged up, so the Steelers might have just chose not to use him in that facet, but it felt very clearly like the turn away from Najee Harris' game. And I think back to very vividly that uh, Ben Roethlisberger game where he threw it to Najee Harris 14 times. That was literally because Ben Roethlisberger couldn't do anything else. So that that was the benefit. That was the good thing for drafting Kenny Pickett is that you wouldn't have to watch Ben Roethlisberger sadly throw the ball to Najee Harris 14 times. But this is the downside of Kenny Pickett is I'm not sure he makes the offense much better and also puts them in a bad spot when it, when it comes to running the ball because Kenny Pickett's not that good. So I I don't know. I you talk about running back 15. I get it from a PPR perspective. If he gets more than 50 catches, you're probably fine with that in the third or fourth round. I get concerned because I don't think Najee Harris is that good. And more importantly, I don't think the Steelers' offense overall is that good. I think their offense line still is not very good. And frankly, they don't have a lot of cap space, as we illustrated earlier, to make a significant difference in that facet. So I, I don't know what the Steelers dramatically improve to help that situation look better. Let me add one thing. So – Again, in a season where he was hurt a bit, remember, he still had 272 carries and 41 targets. So that was like 313 opportunities. Mm -hmm. And remember, Joe, it's not 
always being a great running back. It's about volume and fantasy football. Volume is king, right? So I don't have any disagreements with you about who he is as a player. But if you're going to tell me that my running back is to get 313 att- you know, attempts between running and receiving. Yeah, and a down year. Yeah. Yes. And remember this. He had all five of his 20-plus rush attempt games after the bye, which tells me his foot was healthy at that point. So that means that that – number of touches was really a floor because they scaled him back in the first half. So I agree with everything you say. I just think the volume will be there. And at some point volume equals fantasy points. Okay. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. We'll, we'll get to the, what we want to actually do when we're drafting these players a little bit later on in our uh, multi-month tenure here doing this Wednesday <laughs> podcast. We'll get to that point, but uh, let's just say I'm, I'm going to have to be a bit more agnostic on Asha Harris. He he killed me in the Worldwide Online Championship. So the beat Joe Bartle. Everyone beat Joe Bartle because uh, I had Naja Harris as my number seven overall pick. Oh, and uh, I'm not you know, drafting him, Joe. I'm not drafting him. That's good. Year. Okay, I'm making a case for him. But every player, you make a case for every player, upside and downside, because other people are going to consider drafting him. But I won't. I mean, where I have him my draft board, I have other running backs that are going later than him that I like earlier. Meaning I won't get him. Okay, oh, that, that's fair enough. I want to spend some time on the Browns. Uh, and what their situation looks like. Because if the Steelers look bleak, let me introduce you to the Cleveland Browns. So finish 7-10, and 10, don't have a first-round pick. That's over the Texans, number 12 overall pick to Houston in the Deshaun Watson trade. Technically, right now, they are $14 million negative in cap space. This is where I go back to the carryover cap figure. I guess they have about $27 million, which by some math, and I, Jim, I tried. I, like, I spent probably way too long trying to figure out the math, and I know I wasn't good at this in high school, so... Really forgive me, but I could not figure out how people were getting 30 plus million in cap space for the Browns when they were minus 14, but had 27 in a rollover. Let's just assume they have somewhere in the range of 20 to 30 million dollars in cap space to work with. Their free agents, Deion Jones, they traded for. Okay, fine. Jadavian Clowney probably wasn't coming back anyway. Yeah. Kareem Hunt, Jacoby Brissett, Anthony Walker, Tavon Bryan, you know, the, the top pick for the Jaguars back in the day. Greedy Williams, who a lot of people liked a lot uh, as a cornerback. Ethan, uh, I always say his name wrong, uh, Pochick, the center Pochick, for them. Yeah. Posick, thank you. Uh, that one might be the most expensive of all their free agents is Posick. And I would assume with the way the Browns have prioritized free agents in the past, they will work to get their offensive linemen under contract at some point. Not a lot of key guys, but there's a lot of holes on this roster overall. So I, I'll start first with quarterback because that's what everyone wants to talk about. So we had the Jacoby Brissett experience. Not too bad. I, I was I was mocking the Browns all year, saying, no, I'm not going to draft Amari Cooper. That's the only one of the good receivers in bad situations I don't want because the situation is just so bad. Well, that proved to be really awful because Amari Cooper ended up being really good. Uh, I know towards the end of the fantasy season, not as consistent, but Jacoby Brissett got him the ball, got it frequently enough. And even if there was the Donovan Peoples-Joneses and the David Njokics, it was always Amari Cooper that got his every single week for the most part. But then that was it, right? Because we had Donovan Peoples-Jones make some big catches, two or three per game, which was good from a fantasy perspective. Didn't help the Browns win a lot of games. David Njoku was getting injured quite frequently. You didn't know what you're getting from the tight end spot. Nick Chubb was great, as he always is, but Kareem Hunt was non-existent. So what do you do to make this Browns offense better? And is it going to involve Deshaun Watson jumping to a level in which we saw previously in his career that I'm not positive he still has? Yeah, it's all predicated around the quarterback, as you say, and that's true. I mean, they invested everything into the quarterback position. So here is the latest place I'm at on Watson. Having been baseball, a baseball player and played through college, one thing I noticed was every level you went up, 
the speed of the game increased exponentially. Obviously, NFL speed it, for football is the epitome of speed. Watson missed almost two seasons. To me, it appeared as if that time off, he was not processing the game of the speed, the speed of the game, and it was not coming back to him quickly enough. Is it also, look, I'm not a fan of him as a human being for yeah. what he did, but there was probably a mental aspect of what knowing what he did and knowing the scrutiny. There had to be some issues from a cognitive or emotional standpoint that kept him from being at his sharpest. I have to think that. Now, with humans, we understand it. No matter how bad we are, time tends to to reset us as individuals and as individuals, we often can acclimate back to normalcy. My guess is there's a good chance that Watson relearns the speed of the game with a full off season with his team after this time period passed. And my guess is how horrible he acted as a human being that he will be a little more centered as again, as humans just recalibrate. I do think there's a good chance he's closer to the version of the player that we saw in Houston. It's narrative, 100% narrative, but the speed of the game thing isn't really totally narrative because there is merit to that, and that is, I think, why players are – he's going to be 28 this season, so he's still a super young quarterback. He couldn't have lost his physical skills. Go ahead, Right, and and didn't play for two years. I think you're you're completely right. No matter how adjusted you are to the speed of the game – practice and watching it on tv and doing uh shell reps every couple weeks doesn't get you to that point so i i thought it was uh hilariously funny to see people drafting them fantasy this year or even picking him up knowing that was probably going to occur and of course it did i mean he really wasn't a fantasy factor for large parts of the year and if you did hold on to the entire season it was a net negative you know drastically for you which feels like just punishment for people investing that that's fine um I, I I agree with you that time heals a lot of things. And I think time is going to f- uh, fix the public perception. Uh, it shouldn't. It should be clear. Well, but shouldn't. people are just going to not care and forget about it like we did with Ben Roethlisberger and other people. It's just, it's just right. It's just going to go off, you know, and we're not going to not going to care. I don't know if that's the case, though, for Watson himself. You talk about people like if you're a person that can still be in your mind even if others aren't putting it on your mind for you, right? So there's a lot of outside pressure overall. The contract that he got, the situation that he got, it, the amount of publicity and scrutiny that came with that contract with the Browns, now he is the guy over a beloved player like Baker Mayfield. Whether it was the right choice to improve or not improve at every call at quarterback, there's a lot of those factors that Deshaun Watson himself has to get over. So I'm not convinced that's no. going to happen. And I'm also pretty convinced – or I'm not I'm, – I'm sorry – I'm also pretty concerned that if we continue to have this Kevin Stefanski offense, which is single back, right, play action type of stuff, that doesn't benefit Deshaun Watson from a strength perspective. He was great in Houston because he could be out of the shotgun. He can look at the survey, the stuff. He can use his athleticism in that regard. I mean, every time there was Nick Chubb behind Deshaun Watson, you were keying defenses onto what could happen. And I think that was a negative for Deshaun Watson and to what ability he was two years ago with the Texans compared to now. I think they'll hopefully craft an offense that benefits both. You can run out of the gun. 
you can run out of pistol formation where sure. the running back is next to you. I think they have to develop something that plays to the strengths of both because Nick Chubb is the ace that they need because as long as he is on the field, defenses will never be able to lighten the box to a point where they're selling out the stop to pass. So I think unlike his days in Houston, Deshaun Watson is going to have favorable secondary counts more than not. And I am very optimistic about his receiving group. Amari Cooper looked fantastic last Hmm. year and Donovan Peoples Jones turned in from an early career situational deep threat to a well polished receiver who was winning routes at all levels of the field and although you mentioned David Njoku had been hurt a couple times he really had a very good season showing the ability to win in multiple levels levels so with those weapons and again health for Njoku we never know how that's going to go but I think Nick Chubb being just 27 I believe if they can craft an offense that keeps the run in the focus of the defense, but it also allows them to pass. I think this is going to keep some pass rush off of Watson. It's going to make the offensive line's job even easier. I think there's so much to go with with the skill position talent they have that they will be very irresponsible if they don't come up with a system that works for everybody. Yeah, that's a good point with Njoku specifically. Um, we've never been worried or we've we've never thought he was going to be healthy anyway, so that he was able to be productive and Oh, I still missed a few games. I think it's actually a good one. He had 628 passing yards. I'm sorry, receiving yards. 2018, his second year in the league, 639, but he played two more games in that contest. Still the four touchdowns, about 85 plus targets in both those seasons. I think now you're kind of seeing, and this happens with tight ends, especially younger ones that uh, over time they develop into more uh, relevant offensive threats. And especially when Njoku was healthy, that was the case. I think Donovan Peoples Jones. Stole a bit of Nujoku's thunder towards the end. It's like they couldn't get both of those guys to be deep assets. It was one of the other. And after Nujoku got hurt, they were like, oh, wait, Peoples Jones actually is really good at this and consistently. Let's just go to it. Um, and I would assume when you have two good guys doing it, you could get two good guys to continue to do it. It shouldn't be like the NBA where you're trading off uh, from one all-star to the other. But who knows? I'm I'm a little bit uh, I'm a little bit agnostic on the uh, the offensive scheme for Kevin Stefanski and, and the Browns, what they're looking at right now. So the only other question that I had with them, and, and this goes back to, do we see a positive trajectory for Cleveland? Was that defense? We're talking about uh, likely going to be uh, seeing, I don't know if, I, I would assume Clowney's gone, right? Like that's that's a yeah. fair statement given. Oh. Okay, so Clowney gone. I don't know if they bring back Deion jo- uh, Jones, especially in his contract. Uh, I would assume Greedy Williams would come back on a friendlier deal, but Maybe not too. Anthony Walker was a standout linebacker, but you don't typically pay linebackers, especially ones that have bounced around. So they were uh, fifth best in terms of passing yards, but one of the worst run defenses, eighth worst in the league. They also only generated the sixth fewest sacks, which you have Miles Garrett. You'd think you'd be able to do it plenty. Like the, the Colts could do it with you and me on the defensive line. And yet you had Miles Garrett only get uh, or get most of their sacks. How do you improve this Browns defense? So pro football focus credited the Browns with a 75.4 pressure rate, which is well above average, not elite by any stretch, but it was very, very good. The sacks weren't always getting home. And that's that, although that's a good place to start. And their coverage grade was 73. Their coverage is good. So they already are in line to be able to build a defense. They can cover well enough. They could get pressure enough. Now, The problem was with the pressure is the linebackers were so awful dumping the ball off to running backs, attacking the middle of the field before the passers got home. That was the weakness of the Browns. The linebackers were brutally interior defensive line. 
horrible against the run. These are easily replaceable positions. Mm. These are positions in the draft that are not high volume choices. These are draft picks. You could hit in the fourth round third round, fifth round, and you could get potentially someone. Nobody's looking to draft inside linebackers high or interior linemen unless they're superstars. You could possibly upgrade just by getting a little bit lucky in the draft or signing some low-cost aging interior linemen. You can – they have a chance, but they're that's what they have to fix. They've got to fix the linebackers to enough, just enough, and the interior defensive line, just enough, and they'll be better. Yeah, I think it's a culture thing too. When you're talking about those leadership and those veterans, the Chargers did it this past year, and Kyle Vannoy and things like that. You, you wouldn't think Kyle Vannoy is going to be a guy that really changes the defense, but you talk to a lot of the the Cleo Max of the world, uh, who who himself was a veteran, but even Joey Bosa, they credit Kyle Vannoy for I think leading the charge in a lot of different facets to turn the defense better. And the defense is pretty young, right? Denzel Ward, Miles Garrett, two of their key pieces. I know uh, the John Johnson's probably a little bit older from a safety perspective, one of their, their big offseason signings from a couple of years ago, but it's a younger team. So I think getting those cheaper veteran guys in the interior, whether it be on the defensive line or that front seven linebacking core, yeah, it, it makes complete sense to me as well too. So that would be a very easy way and cheap way. And Browns might have to be given what is the kind of ambiguous cap situation for them. So that does it for us on the Wednesday edition, of the Riddle Wire NFL podcast brought to you by underdog. We'll be back in next week. I, I, we haven't quite decided. I don't know. I might just leave up Jim, uh, which, which one is so long as he can survive jury duty. If he has to go there, oh uh, which conference might be you. So uh, we'll get back to you guys next week as we continue on with our conference roulette of sorts. And also kind of gear you up for the combine off season as well too. keep you all set on all that across the Riddle Wire network. So thanks everyone for listening.